you know, whatever God put on our heart about eight years before we actually made the decision to come here and plant, we were serving at a mega church and a wonderful ministry and six-figure incomes. I mean, everything going. Parker was one, just turned one. is awesome. And God said a few months prior that it was time to go. And through that process, not really wanting to leave the nest of where we were, it was comfortable. Uh, you know, I had 80-some staff reporting to me and a multi-million dollar budget I was overseeing for Pastor Rod and all. That's all great, but God said, now it's time. And we moved our one-year-old son here as Pastor released us, and we helped to phase out there so he could release us. And we just took our savings account and a step of faith and sowed a big seed there and, uh, and, and came here and rented a facility for over $3,000 a month on Alexandria Drive. And I, I got into more of the detail of that story last week. You can get the podcast from last week and check it out. But it was a step of faith. Some people call it crazy faith, wild faith, going into the unseen. But really, that's what the business world is, too. When you go into business, you're going into, you have to use faith to go into a business uh, partnership or move or birthing something. It's the same way. Faith to have a family and help create and be a part of that and to grow that. But as you see that journey and you watch it, and, and, and I've watched this journey with this church existing from nothing, whenever we sowed a $5,000 seed when we left World Harvest to come here in a church that Pastor Rod said, wow, they sowed this kind of seed in a church that doesn't exist yet. That tells you God's getting ready to do great things. And I, told, I don't think I even told the other service or last week's both services this, but whenever we sowed that seed and, and, and we uh, came here, and I told you the journey of how we broke 40 and we broke 60 and then we broke 200 by, you know, summer and we started in February of 99. But out of that $5,000 seed, within a 12-month period of opening the doors of Bethel, we had over a $500,000 income for the first year of this ministry. What, what new church does that? A hundredfold blessing on that seed zone. And God said, I'm just continually blessing this ministry. So we're just a seed. God just planted a seed and put on our heart to be here. And it's never been under that. And, and, and we're just a young church. There was no, I think there was one $50,000 gift during the year. But other than that, it was just new people coming and tithing and giving. And, and God just blessed us to buy our first building in the first, when we were nine months old. And then we built this and moved into this before our sixth anniversary. And we'd already given a million dollars away as a ministry and planted two churches in Hydra, in India and a church in Kiev, Ukraine, and a church in eastern Kentucky. And then we later planted another one. So counting this church, we planted six churches. And But the reality is, and moving into this 52,000-square-foot facility on 19 acres, 100,000 an acre, and the pressure of building a $7.8 million project with a little five-year-old toddler church. But to not get distracted, to stay after the pattern, stay for the reason, for the season, why we're here, why we exist, and to keep moving forward. It's pretty crazy when you think about that and how you're doing that at five and some of the things we've done at seven and some of the things we've done at nine and 10, but we're just 18 years old. We're not a second generation church, a third or a fourth or a fifth generation church. We're a first generation church. Can you imagine what lies ahead of us? You guys like me, I'm 55, so I don't know how some of y'all are. But man, to be 18 again and know what I know now, right? Don't we always say that? Oh, if I could just be 18 again and know what I know now. Just think about it. We get to know what Jesus knew. 
We get to know what the King of Kings knows. We, we, we get to, to receive downloads and to take steps of faith with him and for him. And whenever we begin to think about first and how important first are, you know, we can remember the first African-American Major League Baseball player, or I can, being a baseball coach and a player and all that. You know, I, I never had to look up who the second one was. His name was Larry Dobby. But I know Jackie Robinson, right? He's famous, and you understand the first. You know, I, I know that that whenever we think talk about going to the moon, I don't know who the group that was second was. That, actually, I wrote it down. The second one to take a lunar uh, launch or to walk on the moon or be at the moon was uh, a lunar landing. Actually, was Pete Conrad and Alan Bean. But I know the first was who? Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon, and Buzz Aldridge. We Aldrin. We see that, and we think of first and. What God really stirred in my heart is to stir up in you guys the significance of first. Once something is a first, there can never be that same first again. And people remember the first because the first sets the pattern. The first brings the significance and the meaning. The first sets the course. And where if you've been here like Tim on the sixth service of Bethel for 18 years, or this is your first day in this journey, you're still entering into a first generational church. And there's something significant about that because God dealt with me. We had an opportunity to come to this church eight years, nine years prior, not to this church, but this city to uh, someone wanting to know if we wanted to pastor an existing church. And I preached one time, it was a beautiful, wonderful church, but and now it doesn't exist anymore. But I was like, I'm just not, it's just not it. No, I don't. And Steph and I would never receive any engagements to come back because we knew that wasn't the church, but we knew Lexington was the place that someday we would be. And he put in our heart and mind that as I've shared last week with you that we'd be a church of the Gentiles. A church that was multicultural, multiracial, that most uh, different economic backgrounds, social backgrounds, and all that thing. And where did we get that from? We got that from Acts 1-8. Because what, what does Scripture tell us in Acts 1-8? I covered that with you last week in Acts 1-8 that, that we would... Uh, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I mean, think about that. The birthing of the first church and its assignment all in one verse in, the, in, chapter, in Acts 1, verse 3. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you would do what? Be my witnesses. You would go forth. And it was very interesting. He said, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Why is that very Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and parts of Samaria, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. Why is that significant? Because each one of those were different kinds of people groups. They were, there were different cultures and settlements and different religious point of views and different, different uh, socioeconomic and political scenes. And Jesus specifically named these different areas so that they wouldn't get locked into just one people, one people group, and one thing. You see, Jesus said in Matthew, that in Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, upon this rock, I will build your church, their church. No, he said, I will build my church. And what I want you to realize is this isn't Dalton's and it isn't yours. This, we are part of the bride of Christ. We are part of what? His church. It's his 
kingdom. And what I really want to get in your heart today is this, is that the greatest ministry ever put on this planet to bring forth the pattern of God's will in the earth, which is to establish his kingdom on this earth, is church planting. And from Acts 1-3 all the way through Acts 28, the last chapter of the Bible, of, of Acts, the book of Acts, it talks about the main thrust is the kingdom of God, establishing the kingdom of God in this earth. And whenever we begin to understand that, that his will is what? They ask Jesus how to pray. Well, here's how you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where on earth as it is in heaven. We are preparing for his second coming. We're preparing to be, to, to, to have a, to reign here a thousand years. We're preparing to have a new heaven and a new earth. But the main thing is you're preparing for forever. You're preparing for eternity. And the enemy would love to get you to focus on what you feel right now, what you felt at yesterday or 10 years ago, what you're fearing in the future, what things could be or should have been. He wants to distract you so he can discourage you to get you to depart the faith. And what is the faith? The faith is knowing and trusting in God. Faith is the subject of, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what not seen. It's reaching into the unseen realm where everything was first and first begun and pulling out of that meaning and pulling out of that understanding and trusting God to bring it forth in your name now in your presence. And that's what Bethel has been. God said, I want this to be a church that, that is a generational church, multi-generational, multicultural church. I want this to be a church that is birthed in my image and likeness in the pattern of the first church in the book of Acts, the first century church. He said, I want this to be a church where you raise up a generation of faith. I mean, you would think moving here, just a young couple moving here, planting a church and signing a thirty-some thousand dollar contract by faith with no income and putting 60,000 of our savings in it and signing it over to a non-for-profit that we don't own it, we don't have control of it, and just saying, God, we plan on this thing going way beyond us for multiple generations. We're all in. What do you need? What do you want? And then to just humbly see God have us in about nine months, eight months, break 200 on Sunday morning attendance in an old bingo hall and to break 100 and average 170 on a Thursday night midweek and to buy a $1.2 million building when you're nine months old. And I'm not talking about money. I, I, I'll tell you this. This is the kind of church, if you're new here, anybody that's a little older probably remembers Y2K. Anybody wave if you remember that old, older folks like me. All oh, the world's coming to an end. The digits, the computers, they can't handle triple digits, whatever it is. So I'm watching this stuff and I'm seeing these people, you know, get your, you know, beanie weenies that last forever and put them in your basement and we're selling pack. They're still trying to sell the same packets of food that they were trying to sell back then, right? 17 years ago. And my spirit, I can't tell you why, my spirit got violent. I got angry. I was mad. Steph said, what are you mad at? I said, I'm mad at this stupid ideal that we got to be living in fear of a new millennium. I mean, 2000, we get to usher in a new millennium. Man, we're, we're going to be able to usher in new amazing things. We're stepping into unknown territory, and they're wanting people to hide in their basement. And she said, well, you know, we had a New Year's Eve service last year. It's our second year in existence. Are we going to still have a New Year's Eve service? I said, blank, yes. And I've been known to say it here. 
You better believe it. I came too far. We came too far. We've invested too much. I'm not going to worry about some little silly tech guy that's trying to get some attention. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in IBM or Apple. Love them, use them. Not, I'm, I'm a Mac guy, but uh, I love them and all that, but they're not my God. And we had our very first service in our new building. To us, it was new on Clays Mill Road. And we had over 250 people. I think it's like packed, 270 people. And we ushered in. I said, we're going. I said, if you don't even come if you don't want to go down after midnight. We're going from 9 o'clock till I don't know, but it'll be after midnight. And we were dancing and praising and shouting in the new millennium in that building. And people thought we were, you know, church lots were pretty vacant that night. But we were crazy enough to believe and to know and to trust God. And that's what you're a part of. You're a part of a legacy of faith. You're part of a legacy of putting God first. You're part of a legacy of worshipers, true worshipers in spirit and truth. You're part of a legacy of people who love you as you are, not as you should be or could be. And whenever we begin to understand that, that we're part of a legacy of people, and we're established, it's not just for us, but for the next generation. It's a pattern, like in the book of Acts. It's a pattern. God said, you'll be a city on a hill. And, and that's one of the reasons that video is about almost 12 years old or about 12 years old. But we got that out of Matthew 15, 14, Matthew 5, verse 14. You are a light. You are the light, the light, not a light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Man, God didn't call the church to hide behind four walls. God called us to be in the community. God called us to be in the, the social system, the school system, every avenue of society because we take God with us wherever we go. And we're the kind of church that wants to pattern ourselves after the church in the book of Acts. Now, not only was the book of Acts an amazing church that, that it went across all kinds of lines as far as race and gender and all these things, but what I really want you to get out of it is it's the most concrete, lasting ministry that continues the original, original mandate of Jesus to build his church, to plant his church. You see, we get so caught up at church as a name or an organization or a building, but this building, this property is not the church. The non-for-profit license and all that is not the church. The church is you and me. As we, as we serve one another and follow God, we're, we are his church. And whenever we begin to continue to live this pattern of reproducing the glory and the image of God and the power of God in our lives and the lives of others and bringing that, not just today's transformation, but eternal transformation in people's lives, that's what we hang our hat on. Not, it's not about us, right? They asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord thy God, what with your, your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then he said, the second is likened it, and they'd already cut him off, but then they didn't want to hear number two. It's really 1B, love your neighbors yourself. I mean, loving your neighbor is one thing, but like you, what you have, what you wear, what you, where you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, whenever we begin to pattern ourselves after the first church, and we have done that, and we, our prayers to keep doing that, we realize that 
the book of Acts was kicked off by what? The author Luke the, that wrote the gospel of Luke as well, the apostle wrote it to do what? To do all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. The book of Acts is a book of action. And what we got to understand is we are here to move. We're not here to sit still. We're not a dolphin. We're a shark. And sharks, if they're not moving, they're dead. And we go into murky places that you can't even see and understand and give it a go. I mean, one of my most favorite scriptures is Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has just started his ministry. It's rocking. And he comes up to the Sea of Galilee. And the fishermen had just, you know, they've been fishing all night. And they hadn't called anything. And he comes up and a crowd's following him. And there's already a crowd there. Some historians say there could have been 5,000 little boats that would fit four to five to eight men in to fish. And, and, and he comes up on all these boats and a lot of them had cleaned their nets and already headed toward the house. And, and he comes up to Peter. He comes up to Simon, the Bible says. And his name's Simon Barjona. Simon means one who hears. Jonah is a dove, represents the Holy Spirit. One who hears the Spirit of the Lord, right? Simon Barjona. And so he says, uh, Simon, he says, can I use your vessel? You see, the whole thing about being an Acts church is we allow God to use our vessel. Whatever our vessel is, we're here for the master's use. We're not here for our kids, our cats, our dogs, our spouses, our church. We're here for him. And if you will put him first, you'll have the best kids, spouses, cats, dogs, and churches you could ever believe. But he will not be number two, number three, or number four. He will will, and always will be number one. And if we don't like it, we can get over it because he's been that way from the beginning and the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So if he didn't change for Isaac and he didn't change for Jacob and he didn't change for Moses and he didn't change for Peter and he didn't change for Paul, he ain't changing for you. Somehow we kind of think we're the ones that can change God. No, we're here to be transformed in the image and likeness of him, not vice versa. And what I love about Luke 5 is whenever Jesus, you know, comes up and he has to use his vessel. And Peter says, well, we fished, we toiled all night and caught nothing. But yes, Lord, you can use it. And so they launch out into the shallow parts and Jesus is teaching the multitudes. And I imagine it was an amazing day of ministry. Then he looked at Peter and he said, he said, uh, Peter, he said, let's launch out. He said, Simon, let's launch out into the deep. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Two big things happened here. We'll launch out into the deep. What do you mean, Master? But, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. In other words, we fish at night when it's dark because we can lure around in these shallow areas where it's safe and where we can kind of see the fish at night when the moon hits them and we can catch them in these shallow waters. It's too hot in the day. They go out into the deep. They hide out into that deep water. And we don't know the deep terrain very well. You see, Bethel is a church that's not comfortable in the shallow waters. Because in the shallow waters is where you get snags and hooks and, and you get caught up in the pain of the problem instead of the pain of taking an adventure with God and moving forward with his grace and his faith. You see, I would rather be moving, even if I'm going in the wrong direction and let him tweak me later, than him have to resuscitate me and just get me awake to try to convince me to take a step. And, and here Peter's learning about launching out into the deep. You see, a lot of Christians will give their life to the Lord, but they never leave the foot of the cross. They hang out in the shallow waters. 
Yes, it's the most amazing event ever. Christ paid for our sins and our sickness and everything else. And he died and he, he was dragged off to the tomb and then he rose again. But you know what? He didn't stay up there on the, the place of the skull. It says he was all over the place for 40 days and nights preaching the gospel when he, was, when he rose from the dead on the third day. He, he, he wasn't just hanging out. His last words was Acts 1.8. That was his last commission to us. He was reminding us of the great commission. He doesn't want you hanging out in shallow waters. He wants you to launch out into the deep. And Peter's like, this is shallow and we know it. And, and plus it's deep out there. But he said, nevertheless, Lord, what at your word... I'll do it. There's been so many times in my walk with God that I just had to do it on a word. You see, when you do things on a word, you can leave a style in a second. You can leave a stage look, prop, set, lighting. If God says, walk away from a building, I really don't care. I got in this thing on a word. When he called me, 2 Timothy 1, 9 says, whom he has saved and called, not according to your own calling, but according to his own holy calling and purpose in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the world began, God knew me. Before the world began, God called me. Before the world began, God had his grace and his hope and his assignment on my life. And it's not up for me to sit still. I got to take a step because it's not about me. It's about him and my neighbors. It's about those that we haven't even touched, that we haven't even ministered to yet, that we haven't even met yet. Yes, we build disciples, but we don't build disciples to stay stuck in shallow water. You know, I like it here because I, I got my footing and woo, sometimes it's to my waist, sometimes it's to my knees. You never learn to swim in shallow water. You only learn to swim in the deep water. One of my older brothers is, was a kind of a semi-pro professional fisherman, Brother Al. And uh, man, he went every week. He had a sponsor of his boat and he'd make tens of thousands every year just going every weekend. He worked with the railroad and was a boss on a railroad or something at a shop. So it was union and he just got to come and go. He had his seniority in and every weekend, man, he's hooking that big boat up to a truck. Somebody bought him, a boat someone bought him. He'd go fish with Roland Martin and all the big wigs. And I said, well, Brother Al, why didn't you just like quit working at the railroad and go all the way in? He said, oh, son, you don't understand. He's a lot older than me. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, no, I could fish with any of them in the shallow places. He said, you don't have to be great to fish in the shallow water. Anybody can look and see and get an idea of catching fish in shallow water. You can find the proper sticks and logs and nests and different things and the current and the flow and where they're feeding and where they're not in the shallow water. It's a familiar place. We all know it. He said, no, the great ones go fish in the deep water. When you get into the tournaments where the water's deep, guys like me don't have a chance because they got a gift to fish in the deep. You see, you don't even know if you have a gift to fish in the deep if you never launch out of the shallow water. If you never move out of what you like or what's familiar to you or what's comfortable to you, what are you risking? What are you giving up? What are you taking a chance on? Listen, this church exists because of a word. 
That's the only reason Bethel Harvest Church is here. It could have been a tobacco farm still here or whatever, or another church or a, a mall, but this church that you are in today exists on a word from God. And we will live by his word as long as I am the pastor of this house. And I want to tell you, there's no greater way to live than on the word of God. You see, people have the word of God to adjust their behavior. Let me tell you something. If your heart's right, your behavior will be better. But if you're trying to adjust your behavior to get an advantage in life or to make you look good, you're already miserable. But when your behavior is based on the word from God and it's not based on sitting around and staying stuck and waiting around in the kiddie pool, but when you're ready to go out of season, launch out into the deep, you know what God does? He breaks your nets. They catch so many fish, they break their nets that Peter had to call his partners off the side, Andrew and him to come, and John to come and help bring in the fish. It was the wrong season. It was in the middle of the day. It wasn't at night. It was the wrong season. It was the wrong place. It wasn't in the safe, shallow place. It was in the deep, risky place. And it was trusting the word that God gave, not the word and the knowledge of being a commercial fisherman and understanding all these natural things, but launching out on a word. Man, I tell you, sometimes, you know, Miss Gwen, it's painful, isn't it? And it's risky, but I couldn't live any other way. I, I couldn't live any other way than living on a word from God. That the Bible says the word is manna. It's life. And that's what Bethel came from. That's why we exist. We exist because of the word that God gave. And we live according to the words he gives us. And you could be one of the ones that's offended next time. And you could have been here 10 years or 18 years or a year. I don't know. But if God gives us a word to go left, we go left. If God says go right, we go right. Why? Because we ain't God. He is. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And my heart is, as we get ready to wind down here, as my heart is, is this, guys, we're simply here to follow the pattern of the book of Acts and, and the rest of the Bible, of course. But Acts is where you get a pattern of how churches are to operate, how churches are to function. Sure, you get clues in other areas. I mean, Jesus said in, in, Matthew, uh, in Matthew's gospel, let's see, what do he say in Matthew's gospel that, well, we know Matthew 16, 18, that the church exists because of him. It's his mission to build a church. It's his mission to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. Why? So we can move from being friends and slaves to becoming sons and daughters. So we can be intimate and have relationship and have an inheritance. Guys, th this, is, this is the shortest season of your existence whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, or 100, or 120 years, it's the shortest existence, the shortest time in your existence. You are going to live somewhere forever. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You, when you take your last breath, you will be with your Lord, the God of this world, or God, Abba Father, you will be with one or the other. Whoever your Lord is, that's who you will be with. And you will be with them when? How long? forever. We're not in this for our history. We're in this to make history. This church is a first generation church. We're not here to imitate other churches. 
I love every church because I believe every church is like a family. Uh, it's like if you go have dinner, like go to a visit church service, they let you come into family dinner time, man. It's like just every home has its own feel at dinner time. And I love all churches, man. Anyone that calls Jesus as Lord is fine with me. I don't get into all the stuff maybe we agree or disagree about. Just bring people into the kingdom. That's the main thing. So we don't get all caught up in that. We know who we are. We're okay. We're not nervous. But I want to tell you, you're part of something that is not setting still. You are part of something that's alive and that's moving forward. And we're pressing in. And we're ready to take another mountain. Now, as we get ready to pray, I just wanted to update you on our, or maybe I did say it already. Maybe it was last service. Our college ministry, we launched Sunday night. The first college minister here at Bethel, and guess what? We had 50 in attendance Sunday night. Man, isn't that awesome? And, and I, like I told them, you're the first. We've been believing for years. We, we did this building to have this area so we could, years ago, so we could have a college ministry, and now you, you're it. You're the first. You know, what's so cool about that, you are part of an 18-year-old living organism, spiritual organism that God has brought into existence through his word. And you get to help shape the next generation and even the generation after that. You are the generation that sets the standard. You are the generation in this house that together we will set the standard. We can, we can set the next generation up to blow their minds. So full of God. so Man, they already understand love and grace so much more than I did. I was in church for years and didn't understand it. it, it it's just amazing how you can go for decades and not understand God's love, God's grace, and all those things. But this generation is getting to learn it firsthand. I want, I want to challenge you guys as we just get ready to pray right now. And I know I went a little long. Today's been a little long. We're usually out by now, but I'm so passionate about this. And each service has been a little different. You can get the podcast and get a little different one each time. But I want you to realize you're special. You're unique. Don't let anyone tell you how you should be and who you should be. Listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to leadership as we do it together. And I have people come and go. I don't get offended if people leave Bethel. That breaks my heart when they hurt Bethel, but it's not, Bethel's not mine. It's God's. I love them when they come back even the second and third time because I realize that all of this is bigger than them. It's bigger than me. My goal is that it goes on for multiple generations until Christ comes. Our heart is to have multiple locations around the city and even in other states. So it's just not about us. It's about God, and it's about others. And you are in a special season in a special place, and God set you up to launch out into the deep, to leave the shallow waters, the familiar waters, and take a step. How do you take a step? Well, we have our belong classes that are going on right now. Next Sunday during the second service, you can come to a belong class and, and find out how to become very involved here at the church. You can begin volunteering immediately. Now, there's certain areas of ministry you got to be deeper in our membership and stuff, but lots of things you can still do just by coming. Why? We believe in action. We believe in getting people busy, man. We build relationships. I find out what you're really like when I'm cleaning the fish beside you. That's when I really find out what you're like. Not what you tell me, but what you do. And the same with me. There's so many opportunities here at Bethel. 
whether it's parking lot ministry or connect groups, small groups within the, all over the community. There's so much we, we do. My goodness, I forget how many thousand pounds of food a week now. And it's just crazy what God does through this house. But everybody just thinks, oh, it's supposed to. It's a big old place. No, we're just barely legal. We're just 18. Think about it. The future, you could help us build. We're launching our intern program this, this September. I can't wait. We already got five full-time paid students out of state that's moving here from other states to be part of a program that doesn't exist yet. Don't tell them. They visited and found the culture and found out, so we want to come to your intern program. They'll be spending 40 hours a week serving in the kingdom, learning ministry, being taught, being instructed. In September, we're kicking off a Wednesday night training center where Bethel School of Ministry is birthing and we'll be doing curriculum on doctrines and ministry and all that. We'll also be doing leadership classes. We'll be doing focus classes on creative arts, worship. It'll be open for everybody that wants to come. It'll be like a college. Our students coming to our intern program can also through uh, a college, West Coast Bible College that's accredited. They can go online with that and get their accreditation while they're going through with us with that. And you can, you can go to Asbury and still go part-time to our intern program or go to another college. We just love partnering with anybody. We, don't, we just love the kingdom. We, we partner and have other people's interns come in and just serve their interns. They don't even have to be our interns. It's the kingdom. It's kingdom building. It's not a selfish, goofy little matter. It's about launching people out forever. So they change eternity. And you had a little piece of it, a little part of it. And I believe you are world changers. You are people that God has assigned for such a type of time as this to rise up and be counted as God's men and God's women to launch God's kids into the next that he has for this earth. I got to pray with you. I'm, I, I keep going. Usually we do Salvation Altar Call almost every service. But today I just want to pray for those that just, man, you, you say, man, I just want to step out into the deep. Whatever it is, God, challenge me. Maybe you even need to go deeper. Maybe you're in the deep, but you just say, man, God, I just want to make sure my first love, living on your word, what you're saying, what you're speaking into my life, I, I just want to live on that word. I want to launch out into the next deep thing you have for me or go deeper in what you have me in. If that's you, just stand up real quick. I want to pray for you. Just stand up. Stand up. We're ready to build the next generation. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Father, I just thank you for these that just say, man, I'm hungry to launch out into the deep, Lord. I'm hungry to launch out into what's next. I, I just want to serve you, God, and, and I want to become a shadow. I just, I don't even want to be seen, Lord. I just want to be used. Use me, Daddy. I'm yours. Holy Spirit, give us a fresh infilling of your power and your strength to annihilate the kingdom of hell, to annihilate Satan and his kingdom, that we put him under our feet and that we tread on the serpent, God, and we walk with our shoulders high and our chin up, knowing it's not about us, it's all about you, and it's about those you put in our path to love and to minister to. Empower us, equip us, strengthen us. Together, we can do it for the next generation. In Jesus' name. Give God a big shout. Come on, somebody. Give God a big shout.